As always, many thanks to the late and beloved Mr. Fletcher Bright, a truly amazing gentleman, for our opening theme, which he recorded here on top of Lookout Mountain at Sunset Rock in 2014. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Mountain Echo, a community-based podcast serving our mountaintop neighborhood, featuring the people of the mountain and their passions. We hope you'll sit back and enjoy this next episode and learn about our fellow neighbors and their interests and all the wonderful and fine goings-on in and around this amazing community in which we live. Also, we hope you'll help us out by telling your friends and your family about our program. Maybe text a former neighbor who lives off the mountain now. Let them know where to find us, themountainecho.org. Help us spread the word, and for that, we'll give you our sincere thanks. And now, The Mountain Echo. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we're at a very special field, which is now a garden, and you may know where we are when you hear about it. We're next to Carter Field on Whit Road, on the Georgia side, and we're with a very special person, Mr. Jimmy Campbell. How you doing, Jimmy? Fine, Will. How are you? Good morning. Thank you, and thank you for this good weather. This is beautiful. It's a little windy, so folks may hear the wind on the mic, but just so glad you're here, and I'm hoping, Jimmy, you can tell us about this incredible garden that we're sitting in the middle of, and uh, maybe even before that, would you mind, Jimmy, just telling the listeners here on the Mountain Echo, would you mind sharing with them a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background, and then we'd love to hear about this garden. Well, thank you. I'm actually a newcomer to Lookout Mountain. I've only lived up here 66 years, actually 65. In the 21 years before that, I lived on Missionary Ridge, all but two years of it in the same house. So, I wait a never, minute, Jimmy. I thought you were like 39. Yeah, wish I was. No, turned 86 the last time, and uh, my grandfather was T. H. Payne. If y'all remember the T. H. Payne Company, he was a carpet bagger that settled here after the Civil War, and uh, anyway, family's been here ever since, and the. The home I was raised in on Missionary Ridge, just might be of interest, was on a, about five acres, and the whole backside was down the backside of Missionary Ridge. And during World War II, our family had an acre and a half garden and about, oh, 30 fruit trees and a raspberry patch. Now, and Jimmy, were you on the eastern slope facing the, the that house morning? was on the top of the ridge so the view was to, from the front of the house was to look out mountain and from the back was to east ridge which didn't exist in those days east ridge was built after world war ii i see but anyway we had a big that big vegetable garden my mother had as i remember it was about 60 rose bushes on this piece of property which was 
the house was built in the 20s with a, the remnants of a tennis court, and along the edge of it was a three-foot-wide bed that ran from one end to the other. It always was full of flowers. You know, I was raised in the garden on the, with flowers and all of that. Got buried, moved to the mountain, and I've loved to garden and raise flowers and all that ever since. When this whole thing came up a couple of years ago, I guess uh, I wasn't listening and I was the last one standing. And I became put in charge of the project. And so far, this is where we stand. So you would have moved to Lookout back around... 54. Mm. No, no, I'm sorry, 58. So you were here during the famous ice storm in oh. 60... That was in 60. I've heard a lot of stories about that storm. There were... I had uh, two brothers, six nieces and nephews. I had a wife and child. And we all went up and stayed in different rooms in my parents' home on Missionary Ridge for three days, which was an interesting experience. And was it, was it just one of those once a century storms? Oh yeah, it started, uh, it was cold, cold, not quite freezing. The rain started and then it instantly dropped below freezing. Ice just coated everything. I had a lot on Dogwood Lane on the Tennessee side where the Schultz property is. It might have been a little bigger than an acre, but we had uh, 200 little trees, saplings, that, dogwood trees that got broken to the ground and that we hauled out of there. It was an interesting year. Does a storm like that, does it set the local vegetation back years? Well, you know, the thing about it is, is I remember it was almost like Mother Nature came in and made everything that survived stronger. The stuff that broke out of trees should have. And you hear some of that same logic with, like, forest fires. They say, you know, it can burn the undergrowth. But it comes back real quick. I remember on the backside of the mountain a couple of years ago when we had those fires, and by the next spring... Oh, the rhododendron and things like that were coming back up out of the ground. So if you moved here in the late 50s, have you pretty much always had, did you carry that same gardening green yeah. thumb here from Missionary Ridge? Did you start putting in roses? And I did. I was not a rose grower. Okay. But uh, we lived at 400 Sunset Circle, right near Sunset Rock. And at the time, the house, uh, well, it's, it's, still, it's about three, three and a half acres. I had, oh, I'm guessing a 20 by 40 foot vegetable garden. I remember every summer I'd have at least a dozen tomato plants and we'd give away as many as we would eat. A lot of azaleas, I, you know, I just love flowers. I think so many people on Lookout still appreciate flowers. You see flowers in so many yards up here and so many different varieties of flowers, not just the same over and over. Right. So. Well, 
keeping yards up and better and flowers and all that is really making up strides in our community, we feel like. And that was one of the things we hoped to accomplish with this. We wanted to create a natural environment and we also wanted to, you know, take a piece of property that was kind of decrepit looking and clean it up and make it look good. Where did the original idea come from? Was it a group of folks or just a couple of folks started talking and spinning it up? Or You know, I don't know who had the original idea to take this specific piece of property and make it into a garden. But I was working closely with the mayor, David Bennett, who uh, has been a great deal of help when we've needed him, and he's left us alone when we don't need him. Nice. And uh, the thing that was important about this piece of property is on the eastern end of it, which is starting to go downhill, there's a trail that's probably less than a quarter of a mile that goes to the school playground. So after school, uh, kids could actually come through the uh, woods and go over to the soccer field. And you you might have seen the lady that just went walking by. She was behind you. She's gone down there. Uh, if you sit up here for an hour, you'll see people coming up and down. Not like we were hoping it's going to be. But I guess it was about three or four years ago, the idea to get this piece of property, which the city owned, cleaned up, got some really serious thought, and I was fortunate in being able to get a $85,000 grant from a foundation in order to do all the work. Goodness, Jimmy, you're going to have some folks calling you up asking if you can do some of their grant writing for them. I may, I may give you a spin. I have no idea how to do a grant proposal. Uh, Come on now, Jimmy. This was, uh, I, I, most most people up here will know who Bruce Clark is. Sure. Well, Bruce uh, is the same age as my oldest daughter. And they went to grammar school together and lived near us on the Tennessee side for those 25 years. You know, Bruce is just nice guy sure is he's really a, and was, very supportive and was this lot and of course i'm asking about a lot that a lot of folks who might be listening to this they've looked over and seen it as they were parents at, at carter field watching their children play think of just how many thousands of parents up here have stood at carter field on a saturday or whenever late during the week and looked around uh, and probably have seen this lot. Was this a, a wooded lot or was it? It was basically wooded. Although a lot of the stuff had been cut back where the trail went through. And see, you can ride a bike up and down that too. If kids weren't in school, there would have been some kids on bikes up, up here. I didn't realize it connected to the back area of the school. Mm -hmm. Well, that unfortunately is a well-kept secret. But we're hoping the word's going to get out. And... The city is getting into a trails project, which w one of the real things is to give connectivity from here down to the school and the sidewalks and the town center 
and then if you look, get over there where we're parked, and you look back across the way in the woods, on the bank going up, you can see a trail going through there. We're going to inventory all these wooded paths and see how they can all be connected. So hopefully somebody from could park in the parking lot of the school, walk to Covenant College, and then down the National Park Service on the, on the back side, the west side, and it actually go down to the Gill Trail. That's that's fantastic. It's funny how so many of the episodes of the Mountain Echo are actually connecting with one another, no pun intended, but talking about trails and how trails connect. Jenny Crutchfield was on recently talking about the history of Lookout Mountain and talking about how the Native Americans had such a rich history of using the mountain and having trails on the mountains before it was settled. And then we just had Bob Wright from St. Elmo Bob Wright was on talking about the St. Elmo Festival, and he was talking about the connectivity of the New River Walk coming into the St. Elmo area. Right, and then they have just finished, or are in the process of finishing, a trail that goes up to Glen Falls on the east side. I heard a little about that. I'm not fully knowledgeable. Do you know much about that? Just that it exists, and one of our goals up here, I hope is going to be to somehow, from up here, is to have a trail on the east side of the mountain that goes down and connects to Glen Falls. And then from there, it's easy. Boy, wouldn't that be fun. Well, and then also, uh, when we get to Covenant College, that gives us connection to Lula Lake and Cloudland Canyon. All of those trails or a mountain bike. Oh, I see. Now something I bet you didn't know and a lot of people don't, is you go right to the south side of the city. The south end where the power lines go across from Covenant College down to the valley. On the south side of that are numerous trails in the woods and they're all known as the moonshine trails. Are you serious? And guess why they're called the moonshine trails? Well, it's because, oh, pre-World War II, Little Lake Road was a dirt road, face the city limits. And if you go out there, I don't know if it still exists, but kind of to the west of where the bridge is now across the stream at the south side of town, there was an old iron bridge. And I don't know how long it had been here, but it was south of that. And if you went out to Little Lake, it was a dirt road. But there were numerous moonshiners back in there and that's where some of the best moonshine whiskey in the state was not not produced. that you know anything really about that or anything you've just heard stories of course well i'm not quite old enough to have known much more than the stories <laughs> now where was this iron bridge tell me again where you're talking about the bridge if you go out little lake road to where the power line come across and there's a bridge there's water under the road. That is, I can't remember the name of the little creek, but go toward Covenant College, and you go about 150, 200 feet toward Covenant College up in the woods. That's where the old road, when it was just a winding dirt and then tar and gravel road. And also back in there, 
I don't know exactly how this all ties in with, but they're the remains of a Civil War road. Wow. And uh, that property on the south side of the city on the Covenant Colony side of Little Lake Road was owned by the by Bobby and Helen Davenport. And it was a trust account for their children now, Elliot and Bobby and Eleanor and Adelaide. And Helen, the mother, was my first cousin. <laughs> so everybody on Lookout Mountain is connected some way. <laughs> right. But anyway, that all, that's a little bit of history. We, we got up here to this garden. So the first thing I did after scratching my head, we actually got a uh, designer who is more commercial than residential and like this is. And we had concrete path from the street back going down to the top of the trail here and a lot of formal things. And we finally decided that's not what Lookout Mountain wanted or needed. So the next move we made was I got as many garden clubs as I could to give us a couple or three representatives. And uh, we would have meetings where it would be myself and six or eight or ten ladies. And the thing I knew I needed to do was sit down and shut up. And I just listened. From that, we found a uh, fellow named Dennis Bishop, who is a unbelievably good designer, landscape planner, untrained, un no formal training. Is he local? He uh, worked for at Reflection Writing for a long time and lives down in uh, the valley now. Dennis Bishop. And uh, so Dennis came to some of our meetings with the ladies and he came up with this rough concept for the garden. And everybody kind of bought into it. And the idea, Lookout Mountain is a bee city. So he wanted something friendly to bees and butterflies. The second thing is we wanted to feature Appalachian, Southern Appalachian plants as much as possible. Native. Native things, which I will say 85% of the stuff we planted or more is. I know Ann Brown will be very happy about that. She's well, a she was very helpful on our committee. Yeah, she's a proponent of the native right. plants and how they nourish. She has a fantastic episode on the Mountain Echo. Yeah. Well, I actually listened to her podcast. Oh, great. Now, uh, if you look at the grounds right now, the lawn is really rough-looking because we purposely did not poison and did not plant any grass. We wanted to see what was here. And this is the first spring we've had since the garden was done. And, of course, a lot of that was woods. Okay. And fortunately, it was supposed to have been cut mowed last Friday, but with the weather, everything got pushed back. And now we're, I told them just to leave us off the schedule for this next Friday. And I know you mentioned this when we first walked in, but what a beautiful entry with the beautiful purple colors. What'd you call that? A chickweed. And that is going to fade out soon. It'll be gone in two weeks. And here's another variety of the same type of stuff back in here. And, and you know, some of it's susceptible 
the shade. And of course, you've got some beautiful, I see buttercups, daffodils. Well, the daffodils, one of the garden clubs came in here, planted a thousand daffodils. Wow. Now, don't tell anybody, but they actually are not native. Uh-oh, I won't tell Ann. It's Appalachia. And well, then you've got some... She's a, I think she's a member of the garden club that did it. And then rhododendron, and uh, looks like some trees, maybe. Oh, we got all kinds of trees in here. And, and you know, this is the kind of place, when summer comes, you're going to need to come every few weeks and see it. And one thing we're particularly special is this 50-foot tall holly tree here. I have never seen a holly tree that size, ever. And in the at Christmas time, there were plenty of red berries on it, and birds just lived off of it. We are going to run an electric line back there and light it at Christmas time. And it's the perfect shape, Jimmy. Oh yeah. Well, actually, we haven't gotten into that much. If we could. Uh, light it with solar-powered lights and not have to run an electric line, it might be the solution for us. It's funny, now that you mention that, I, I, I guess I've never seen one that large either. I've never really noticed it. You know a lot more about this than I do, of course, but I guess that is a huge holly it's tree. It's an enormous tree that's just been left alone forever. I was unaware that you had such a nice uh, area off of the walk path coming in with these beautiful benches. Can you tell us a little bit about what this area here is and the benches and the circle? Can you elaborate a little bit on this area? Because I think this would be a great area for, for families to bring children and to sit and read. Well, I will say this. At the end of last year, end of the summer, when this was basically finished up, we had a little late afternoon wine and cheese party up here for the garden club ladies that have worked with us. We have talked about, and for the time being, are not gonna put in picnic tables because that's not what this is supposed to be. But, you know, you do what people demand. And if there's enough requests, it's something we look at. The idea that Dennis came up with because we wanted to honor Appalachia and native plants and all, and since we live in fairyland, let's do some fairy-related things. Well, the terrace we're sitting on right here is a 20 or 22-foot stone circle, and it is reminiscent of what is known in Ireland as fairy rings. And fairy rings have been around forever and ever, I have seen one or two on trips to Ireland where the fairy ring is actually mushrooms. Now, why, why mushrooms are going in a circle, <laughs> I'll be darned if I... And the fairy ring is honored. There was one place we were driving, and it was a road, and all of a sudden, two lanes one way go to the one, and two on the other, and there's a woods in the middle of the road. And we were right near where we were going to stop and have lunch. And I said, that's the craziest thing. I saw. what was that? And we were told that it was because there was a fairy ring they had found when they were building the road. And they certainly would not disturb the fairy ring to put a road through. Wow. As a result of that, 
this garden, which our original thought had been to have it in honor of and memory of the founders of the city. Well, then it got to think, well, fairies might be the founder of the cities. So this is now, at least for now, known as the fairy garden. Oh, how nice. And we are getting ready to do some major work on the gardens on Little Lake Road across from the new town center. Oh, across from the new town. Okay. Okay. And, can uh, you, is there anything you the can share? We're the there and they're going to upgrade them, fix them up. Yeah. And, uh, and have some memorials in there in honor of the founders of the city. Love the historical touch. What can you tell us about any of that, or is that still unannounced? Well, it's it's not a secret, but it's uh, not announced because they're not a formal plan yet. Gotcha. But, you know, interestingly, the way the history of this mountain works is one of the founders of the city was John Smart. And John Smart's our mayor, David Bennett's grandfather. So, you know, you, you just never know what's coming. Well, that's where we are right now. You know, as I look around, the trees are just now coming out and the shrubberies. And I think in two weeks, this place will really look different. And we're here, just for reference, we're here that very beginning of April. So two weeks is gonna be around the middle of April. You think it's gonna be a prime time for folks to come and see it? And well, that's when it, it'll start looking better and better. What we did, when we planted flowers, you've got a choice. You can either get small plants or you get plants in gallon pots. And of course, the woods in gallon pots are a year older, the perennials, and they're bigger. But the problem is they've all gotten root bound in those pots. And the little plants haven't, are not old enough. So we put in all smaller plants and course you get about four times the bang for your buck that's a great info bit for a lot of folks who are listening to this who just work in their own yard and ann had mentioned something very similar and i never got clarity on why a smaller uh, container is better than say a gallon container but i think you just answered it well a, a gallon container is a year old plant that's got mature roots. And the one in the three and a half inch pot is one where the roots are striving to get out and get hooked in the ground. Makes perfect sense when you put it that way. So we've all seen the container where you pull it out and it's the roots have conformed. That's all you see is roots. Right. And you have to take a knife and cut through the roots so they have a chance of growing. What are some of these three foot, uh, there's several right back behind you right here that are just budding. wonder what those are. You know, I should have brought the plan with all the plant names, and I didn't. Well, I think it's so hard to identify when they don't have the leaves or anything out on them. A lot of these things Dennis talks about is a horticulturist using the, uh, the Latin name. And I'm not a Latin scholar, so... I think you were a French student. It was very interesting. I had three years of French from Major Burns at Macaulay, but uh, nobody spoke it in the class. We read it. We. Oui. But nobody spoke French. 
So your degree from Princeton, was your degree in something Economics. To... <laughs> okay. Princeton is, is liberal arts college. Sure. Was in those days. So no degree in horticulture oh, no. or biology or... No. And, you know, as life goes on, you never know where. I just always kind of taken the philosophy of uh, when you get a chance to peek in a door that's cracked, take a shot at it. What was your career that you did for a living? What did you do? Well, maybe some of the people listening to this know what a scent strip is, which is a ad in a magazine, a folder or something that's for a perfume. You pull it open and you can smell the fragrance. Or can, you can take the strip that's there and rub it on the back of your hand and you can smell it on your skin. I would think we've all done that. Well, and I think many of these people listening to this will have known or remember my brother Gaines. We were in the printing business together at Arcade Printing Company and uh, through a long series of events, I will give Gaines credit for the idea that sparked the end. We invented the product. Wow. There was the old scratch and sniff things you could smell, but we developed a way to put it between two sheets of paper and make it work. And it was very interesting because neither one of us have any background in chemistry or anything like that. But we got some good help. So that idea came out of Chattanooga. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. That was used all over the world. Well, and then Gaines came after this event had happened. We printed safety warning messages for natural gas. You know, you know the smell of natural gas. Yes. The government mandated that every gas retail customer was to get two safety warning messages a year with the smell of gas. And it was uh, NCR Corporation, National Cash Register, that made carbonless carbon paper who invented the product that encapsulated the smell of gas. And I, I was sales. Gaines was manufacturing and the brains, he was the idea guy. And we were talking about how we could get into this business with the micro-encapsulated messages because they were done by silk screen printing. And we did it, we figured out a way to do it on a printing press. So our output was six times what it was screen printing. So obviously what happened to the cost. And within uh, a year, we were printing four or 500,000 pieces, shipping them all over the United States. And one morning the pressman came in and said, we got a real problem. And he said, I'm scared to tell Gaines, you're gonna have to tell him. And I said, well, Gilly, what happened? He said, the, when we printed the material last night, the, it wasn't mixed up just right, and the sheets are stuck together. So I went back here and looked at it, and they were stuck. But if you pull them, you could pull them apart and not tear the paper. But there's this awful smell of gas. So I went back, I went and told Gaines, and about 45 minutes later, he walked in my office and sat down started twisting his eyebrow. You knew when he twisted his eyebrow, something was coming. And he said, when you pull the paper apart 
He said the microcapsules break like when you scratch them, so without having to scratch anything, you smell it. And I said, yeah. Fragrance companies wouldn't touch scratch and sniff because you don't sell a $200 an ounce product that you scratch. I got the same message, and I called on a bunch of them in New York. Anyway, and he had some of these in his sheets in his hand. He started pulling them apart. And uh, he said, if this was Chanel number no. 5, could you sell it? And turned and walked out of my office. So that I sat there and thought and thought, and it was about uh, Christmas of that year. I magnum department store in California, and they did a test. They had 500,000 Christmas catalogs, and a half of them had a scented piece in it, and the other half had a order form without the scented piece in it. And A through K had five times the amount of business as L through Z, so all of a sudden we are viable, and the rest is history. Jimmy, I have heard little snippets of this story for years, and you just did an amazing job of fluidly and chronologically laying this out for the listener, and I really appreciate it. This was a, I had always heard this story. What a great, neat idea and concept, and from right here in Chattanooga, went all over. Yeah. And you know how it all came about, you just go back through the sequence of, people would call coincidences, but you know, when a door opens, you better jump in it. You know, you're such a gentleman, and you're very humble, and uh, as a gentleman should be, and you give Gaines credit for being the idea person, but I'm going to be quick to point out, you were a part of this whole project here on Lookout Mountain, and you know, you've been a key player and idea person on a lot of this. And a lot of people have told me that, so uh, I want to make sure that you give yourself credit there. All I did was get a bunch of ladies together and sit back and listen. <laughs> well, it's absolutely amazing. And, and we're here really just at the tail end of winter still in terms of what the, what the plants are doing. And it's just starting to bud. Of course, the daffodils are out, but the, the plants... The other plants are just coming out. What size is this property, Jimmy? An acre is 43,000 square feet, give or take. And as I remember, this is either right under or right over 30,000. So it's a little under an acre. It's, it's somewhere in the 30s. But the thing that, you know, really, I don't know how the city ended up owning it. I just don't know that part of the history. But nobody had ever inquired about purchasing this piece of property to build a house on, to the best of our knowledge. It's almost as if it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just love the way it turned out. And then Penny Montgomery found these benches. They came from a company in uh, Maryland. They're made in Thailand. They're, they're absolutely beautiful teak, an arm and a leg, but it's worth every penny you pay. The craftsmanship and oh, the smoothness is just stunning. The problem we had was getting them because uh, this, these all came in when things were getting backed up in containers on 
the West Coast. So how how long have these beautiful benches been in place? But he, th these two were, one of those three, I, it was last summer. M maybe, maybe they've been here not quite a year. And we just put three more of the two seat of the 60 inch benches at uh, the new town center. And hopefully, I'm going to recommend that both at the town center and across the street, the guards we're working on, that any kind of a planter or a waste container be one that comes from this company and is made with this material. This should weather well, right? Oh, it's just, I have two teak chairs in my apartment that were in a home on Longboat Key that my mother and father bought in 1957, 56 or 7. So, I mean, that's, what, 60 years ago. That house was, the ones I have probably date back to 1950. You know, so they're 70 years old. Well, these are just gorgeous. And yeah. Is it, uh, this property, I mean, it's open for folks to come over and sit and read or meditate or just enjoy the flowers or? No charge, but if you'd like to contribute <laughs> to the fun, we'll take it. And you were lucky enough, you were a recipient, right, of a, of a grant, of a good size we grant. We got an $85,000 grant. Well, it's just beautiful. Everything all of you have done to beautify the mountain and make Lookout more lovable, this is beautiful for folks who hear about it and want to come and see it they can there's plenty of easy parking alongside Carter Field mm -hmm. and they can step across the street and they're literally in the garden or I guess we can now call it fairy garden the fairy and garden mm -hmm. just uh, beautiful and and the walk path and does it do they go down a little further this direction here yeah just all the way to school and this uh if you go down Marvin Lane, which is the first road south of the school, dead ends, the houses on the north side of it, toward the dead end, this uh, trail goes right along the property, almost on the property line of the last two or three houses. Gotcha. And see, this house right here, that is just a little bit to the left of the center of Marvin Lane. Gotcha. So that's how I know the school's right there. Gotcha. Well, it's it's magnificent, and in weather like this, it, it just makes it all the more gorgeous in every direction as I look mm -hmm. around. And you say a lot of the garden clubs have been a participant of this project, several garden clubs. Well, Wood Garden Club gave us $5,000. Wow. Another one uh, gave us uh, the jonquils and planted them. And have come over here and helped, and people have volunteered their time. This is just great. And when you think about the future, Jimmy, you think about gardens like this, the community. Do, do you have any thoughts about any future projects coming up? Anything cross your mind? Well, if you go back down McFarland 200 yards in Fort Trace, turns up to scenic the property on the north side of Fort Trace is known as the Sims property it's where Jesse uh, Sims 
lived, and uh, it's about a five-acre tract, and it is being acquired right now by the Conservancy. And we will work in conjunction with the Conservancy and to make it into an additional park. And hopefully this trails project that's getting ready to go into will have a connector for a trail so somebody could go to one and walk to the other. How likely is it that this location we're in today, Ferry Garden, would be on an eventual link between, say, Covenant College and Guild and down to St. Elmo? Well, s something will be. And, and this, since there's a trail up to here, and there's what you can see, and if I said the Brock homes up there on Scenic, there are two or three Brock families, and they built, they did a lot of that trail to get so their kids could walk to school. And we are hoping that somehow either that or a easement can be obtained to have a trail. And then when you get to Scenic Highway, there is a trail on the other side of Scenic Highway that needs some work done on it, but as far as I know, it's a grandfathered thing. And that takes you right up to Covenant College, and you've got everything you need. Wow. Just the thought of what you all have done here being possibly, I realize we're looking into a into the future and a lot of unknowns and things still not ironed out, but there is a possibility that this could be a center waypoint between Covenant and down through Fairland, down the Guild, down to St. Elmo. Right, and you know, the, the thing you struggle with is, are we trying to create a trail system 95% of the benefit of which is for the residents, or are we trying to do a trail that would be like where there's all that parking on the side of Ox Highway going down where people go over to Glen Falls, which come from no telling where they Do we want 15 or 20 cars parked here for six or eight hours or overnight while people are out on the trails? Not my call. Agreed. A question that can be answered by others at some point, but just a good point to raise. Yeah, so we, we just have to see where that goes. Well, Jimmy, thank you. This has been fantastic. It's great hearing about your family, your family's history, and especially about all the hard work that's been done with you and the clubs here. This is just beautiful, and I hope folks will come out again this location, it's off McFarland Road, right next to the soccer field, Carter Field, and it's called Whit Road, and they can park right beside the location and get out and look at some of these beautiful yeah. flowers and plants. Yeah, and let, let me just add one thing. Sure. We are getting ready. Well, we're in the planting stage, and hopefully to be in the planting stage real quickly on some stuff for property across the street from the town center south on Lula Lake Road to where the park ends across Red Riding Hood. So it'd be the park across Red Riding Hood yeah. and then as you're going north it go to the new parking lot being built on Lula Lake Road. And we're going to spiff all that up. 
and anybody that Good. has thoughts or input on it, call me. Contact Jimmy Campbell. You you can look me up in the Lookout Mountain phone book. Well, Jimmy, that sounds fantastic, and thank you for being so gracious to solicit ideas and thoughts about that new project there at the top and by the town center area and you're just a, a great asset for the community and I know I probably speak for a lot of folks when I say a heartfelt thank you for all your hard work. Thank you Will. Okay, It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, it's that time already. This is Will, your host, and you've been listening to another great episode of The Mountain Echo which is dedicated to the people of the Lookout Mountain community. We'd like to thank all of you, our great and dear listeners out there. We couldn't do it without you. And on that note, consider telling a friend about us, if you like us, that is. So until we meet again, may your troubles be few, and may the good Lord bless and keep you near until this time next week. Let's see here. Fletcher? And the dismembered Tennesseans, take us away with Tennessee Waltz.